truly do something new in each of our lives. I think we're so accustomed, we're so used to just going through seasons and motions, and we have these rhythms in our life, but, but Lord, I feel like you want to shake us up. You want to awaken us once again and remind us that when we say, oh, it's Advent, you know, it's not just a, a season, it's not just a time of year, but it's an active remembrance that you came and that you're going to come again. So, Lord, I pray blessing over each person here. I ask that you would open up our hearts and minds that we might receive from your word today. We say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill us? Would you fill us up? Teach us more and more about who Jesus is. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I mentioned, Advent really just means the coming. Uh, we're looking at the coming of Christ. And uh, during the season, we remember the first coming. We look forward to him coming again. Uh, but especially in this time, we remember, um, you know, Jesus, God in all his might and power, come down to earth, come down in this vulnerable state as a child and, and born into humble Humble circumstances, right? Born in a manger. And yet we remember that there is a day coming that he will come back. A couple weeks ago, or, or maybe it was last week, we talked about him riding in on, on this colt, right? This donkey. But he's going to come back on this, this amazing white horse. And he's going to be coming full in that victory, right? So we look forward to that. Uh, with this sermon series, um, you know, we've been in the book of Luke this whole year, and we're just slowly going through that. Uh, but we're going to take a, a break uh, for this month, and uh, this series is called Searching For. Um, so each week, that, that next part, like today, is hope. Uh, that's going to change. Um, so you know, uh, there's hope, peace, joy, love, and then Christ. Um, and I believe, you know, all of us from when we're born, these are things that, that we're searching for, whether we realize it or not. Uh, we are searching for these things, and, and they kind of come about in different ways. Uh, but we're searching for love, identity, purpose, community, so on and so forth. But the reality is that we find all of these things in Christ. And I hope that's something that, that we'll see a little bit of today. You know, these days there's uh, so many things that are, are fake, that are false, that are substitutes. And we get excited about this. You know, I had a friend who was telling me about a new sugar uh, substitute, and he was so excited. It's like, man, it tastes just like real sugar. You know, we get excited about these fake things, right? But sometimes we, we, we put our hope in fake things as well, and things that are just going to pass away, things that are just going to last this lifetime, or maybe even just a, a number of years. And yet we put all of our stock in that. We say, man, I've got so much hope that this will work out. Hope is something that, that we all need. If you look at history, you know, hope is said to be that difference between people who survive terrible circumstances and those who do not. Without hope, it's truly hard to live. Martin Luther King said, if you lose hope, 
Somehow you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. You lose the courage to be, that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. And so today, I still have a dream. When we think about hope and what is real hope, we come into a, a group of people, these Israelites, that, that they are hoping. They're under Roman oppression, and they are hoping for a Savior. They're hoping for a, a truly different life than what they're experiencing, right? They know who God is. They have faith in who he is, and yet they're seeing this disconnect in their reality that, hey, we're, it doesn't feel like we're living in that victory right now. In Luke four twenty four to 27, uh, we went through this uh, several months ago. Jesus is in his hometown, and, and he, he reads this scroll, and he's basically saying, hey, this is fulfilled today, that, that I am God. And yet people question him. They're like, wait, isn't this Jesus? Isn't that Joseph's son? Wasn't he the carpenter? You know, who is he now speaking to us like this? You know, who is this guy, right? Really? I'm pretty sure that's just average Jesus, right? In verse 24, Jesus replies to him and says, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. If you've been with us, you know that leprosy in that time was like cancer. It was something that was incurable. It was a death sentence. It was just like, hey, you got leprosy? I'm sorry. And in the Old Testament, you know, we read, we got to read about Jesus healing the lepers, right? But in the Old Testament, from, from you know, where they're at, there was nobody that was healed. There was no, you know, there was no accounts written of, oh, yeah, you know, this great man of God, you know, he, he prayed and this guy was healed of leprosy. No, there was nothing. There was no record of that, right? And Jesus, he's, he's reminding the people, he's telling them even that, that wow, Salvation has come for all people, not just Israel, but all people, even the people that you don't think would be saved. The ones like Naaman, that there is all these lepers, but not one of them was healed before Naaman. He was the first. right? And that's what I want to talk about today is this uh, story, this account of Naaman, because I, I have always found it just an amazing story, but it's easy to glance over. It's easy to just read through and, and not really pay much attention to. So that's what we're going to park on today is, is 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can bring those out. Otherwise, you can follow along with us on the screen. Uh, I'm going to start from 2 Kings 5.1. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. 
Naaman was a great man, a commander in the army. He might have even been like the king's right-hand man, right? He was someone who was honored. He was someone that would have been uh, wealthy, that would have had power, that definitely had that fame. He had that influence. And he was someone that we might say he kind of had it all. Here's a picture of, of one of the, the Bible kind of, this is old from the Moody Bibles, but uh, here's Naaman. Um, at least in the picture, it looks like he's bigger than all the other soldiers around him. But, uh, you know, translated to today, I kind of think of someone like uh, maybe Dwayne Johnson. Um, you know, if you think of, uh, about a great military, I mean, this is fictional, right? But, but that's kind of how I picture it, like this great commander Naaman, right? And, uh, you know, that's him in action. But next picture, uh, he would have been someone that, that he had it all, right? In, in, our, in our imagination, you know, this is someone that, that the children grow up looking at and thinking, man, I want to be like Naaman when I grow up. Wow, yeah, I want to be like Naaman, you know? I think Naaman had uh, many or all those things that we really grow up believing that we need the things that would really give us hope for a good life. You know, our culture tells us that, uh, you know, we need to, to get a good education or maybe uh, educate ourselves enough that, that we're able to, to get into a career that will make us lots of money, right? Whether that means you're, uh, you know, one of fortunate uh, charismatic entrepreneurs or you stumble into a great investment or uh, you do the work and you're in school for many, many, many years and, and you're a doctor, a lawyer, or some other professional, right? Whatever it is, many paths, but the goal is, hey, let's set ourselves up so that we will be financially secure so we won't have to worry. So we won't have want of anything, right? But I think Naaman finds himself in a place that many people find themselves sooner or later, whether they're very wealthy and, and taken care of or not. And, and that is that regardless of, you know, what they do, we still find ourselves in situations where we're helpless, where things are beyond our control, where we can't buy our way towards that happiness. We mentioned Naaman has leprosy, and this is like a death sentence in that day. It's a waiting game. He knows that it's coming. There was no cure. If you were an Israelite, there was very strict laws, and, and, and they were totally separated from the community. But Naaman, this man of power, and I imagine in, in that culture, things went a little bit differently. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe it was still the beginning stages where he was able to kind of cover up some of it, or maybe everybody knew about it. It was starting to get more pronounced, but he was still able to function is what it seems like. He was still able to travel. He was still kind of able-bodied because uh, that's what happens with leprosy. It begins to eat away at your body until uh, you just start losing parts, right? And, and it's, it's a terrible, terrible way to go. Let's continue. Verse 2, it says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So let me add that, that Aram or, or Syria, this, uh, this uh, country, and, and Naaman, they were enemies of Israel, right? In fact, Naaman had in his service a young girl who was taken as a slave. You know, she may have witnessed her family uh, killed. She may have, you know, who knows what happened, but she was taken, she was taken and brought back and placed in service of, of Naaman's wife. And yet it's amazing to me that the, whatever the reason was, she felt compelled to, to help. You know, she didn't think, oh, well, I know how you can get help, but, man, I forget you. You know, she, she said, you know what? There's this man of God. There's this prophet. There's this guy in Samaria, and I know that he can cure him. She doesn't even say it might work out. You know, there's a possibility. You might want to look into this, uh, Naaman. But she says, no, he can cure you. And again, this was unthinkable at that time. No one gets cured of leprosy. But she gives Naaman something. More than the information, I think she gives Naaman hope. Enough so that the Naaman, he goes and he goes to the king and he tells the king, hey, listen to what I heard. This servant girl told me about this man that can heal me. Can I go? Can I leave and can I go? And re- reiterating how important Naaman was, the king is like, yes, you need to get healed. In fact, I'm going to send you and I'm going to set you up, right? They didn't have like, um, you know, Electronic payment, they didn't have credit cards, they just had, um, I guess we'd consider it cash, right? And, and so, in verse 6 we see, or, or the second part of verse 5, it says, So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And so, to give you an idea, um, you know, I think the silver was somewhere around... Uh, 750 pounds, and the gold is like 1,500 pounds, something like that. I I did the calculations last night. Trust me, I searched all the calculators and all that. And anyways, in today's value, the silver was over $200,000, and the gold is over $3.5 million. Okay? And I know you're thinking, and 10 sets of clothing. Wow. (laughs) 10 sets of clothing, right? My kids got 10 sets of clothing just on their floor in their bedroom, right? But, uh... But no, back then, how many sets of clothing did you have? You had one. That's it. You had one, you know, one set of clothes, and that was it. And then when you totally wore that out, then maybe you get another one, right? Or maybe you outgrew it. But, but you had like one. Most people had one. So 10, that was something pretty big. And so Naaman is sent and he is sent, um, you know, with this, I imagine, this big caravan. Because carrying all that gold, all that silver, and the clothing, you know, again, they didn't have the things that we have. They didn't have, like, UPS, or they didn't have, uh, you know, the electronic payment. It was like, man, they're caravanning, right? In verse 6, it says, The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, 
With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So I, I imagine, uh, you know, you imagine the rock showing up and there's a letter like he's an enemy. You know him because he's been defeating you in battle. Right. He's been snatching up people and whatever. Right. And he shows up with a letter from his king saying, can you please heal him of this incurable disease? And by the way, here's some money. Right. The king is so upset that he tears his clothes. Right. It's a sign of like grief and and distraught. He's just like, oh, my goodness. And I imagine he begins to think, of course, I can't cure him. That's impossible. So what is this king trying to do? He's got to have some crazy plan. I mean, he sent Naaman to me. Is he going to try to assassinate me? Is he going to try to blame me saying that I, you know, I received all this money and I didn't come through on something? You know, what is he thinking? Right. And he's all upset. Verse eight. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. He sends his message to the king. He says, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. You know, I think he, he kind of reminds the king. He's like, king, what are you thinking? Of course you can't heal him. That's impossible. But have you forgotten who our God is? Have you forgotten the Lord of Israel? who can do all things. Come on, just, just send him to me and I'll point him in God's direction, right? So verse nine, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored to you. And you will be cleansed. You know, Elisha, he doesn't even come himself. <laughs> he doesn't even meet Naaman, this great man. He sends a servant. And what does a servant tell Naaman? He says, oh, you know, go, go to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times and then you'll be healed. It's crazy, right? Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. You show the Jordan River. You know, he's thinking of his hometown. He's like, man, we got way better rivers than this. You want me to wash myself seven times and that's going to cure me? Like, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all, right? He wanted to be healed, obviously. He traveled this whole way 
He left his home. He even went to his boss. He went to his king and said, hey, I heard about this guy. Can I go? Right? He really believed. He has hope that, hey, maybe this guy can heal me. Right? But Elisha, Elisha, he almost disrespects him. He, he says, you know, I'm not even going to meet you. I'm going to send my servant. And, and his servant tells him, hey, go, you know, wash yourself seven times in the river. In the, the Jordan River. And it says that Naaman went away angry. Why? Because he came all this way. He stepped out in faith. He came this way. He realized that, you know what, all my money, all my power, all my, my success, all the things I have access to, they can't heal me. They can't fix this situation that I'm, I'm in. So I'm going to try God, right? He seeks after God. And yet, in that process, he's told, all right, Naaman, thanks for coming all this way. Here's what you're going to do. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I cannot believe that you would tell me to do that. And he's upset. He leaves in a rage, right? And because of that, I think many of us, you know, many people, we miss out on what God wants to do. We miss out on that miracle, that, that moment in our life. Because we come that far, and God says, here's what you need to do. You need to forgive that person that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. You need to give to that person in need, even though they can do nothing for you. You need to volunteer your time. You need to do, you know, whatever it is. And we think, that's ridiculous, God. It's not fair. It's not right. It makes no sense. And we turn away in a rage. But Naaman was fortunate. In verse 13, we read, Naaman's servants went to him. And they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Naaman was fortunate because he had good people around him, people that actually cared enough to tell him the truth. They didn't just say, oh, yeah, man, that, that's, that's a bad deal. All right, let's go home, Naaman. Too bad, you know? Well, they said, Naaman, we know you're this mighty man. You know, I bet if, if, if the guy said, hey, you got to go battle 100 people with your bare hands and, or you got to defeat this, and you would have been like, yeah, let's do it. No problem, right? You just scale this crazy mountain. You had to, whatever it was, it'd be like, yeah, all right, that makes sense. I'm going to do this hard thing, and I'm going to receive this reward. But instead, you're told to do something almost silly, like go wash yourself. But what do you have to lose? You know, why not just try it? We've come all this way, right? So in verse 14, we read, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had told him, right? And his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him, and he said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. So Naaman followed in faith, right? 
I think maybe that hope that brought him there, you know, was stirred up. That as his his servant said, hey, come on, you know, why why wouldn't you just try this, right? That that hope was again stirred up of, well, you know what? All right, why don't, why don't I just try this? And that hope moved him to action, right? His action led to faith. And because he acted out and he received this healing, right? And then he knew that, wow, the God of Israel is real. In fact, there's no other God that's real except this God. And what happens, I think that you find, you know, I can testify that those times when, when we follow the Lord, even when it seems like this is crazy, it doesn't make sense, God, why would I do that? And you do it, it's better than you think. You know, I think Naaman wanted, I, I, I think maybe he just wanted this leprosy to stop, that he would be able to continue living, right? That it would be at least better, it would be taken away maybe. But Naaman, this, this warrior, this man who had fought many battles hours out in the hot desert sun, imagine his skin. He's healed, and his skin is made like that of a young boy, like a baby's skin, right? Better than what he expected, I'm sure. You know, I believe that, that that's what God has for us as well. That's so many times in our life that, that we step out, we begin to realize, you know what? I need you, Lord. Maybe I'll follow you. We go. And he's like, hey, this is what you got to do. This is what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to follow. And we think, I can't do that. But looking at Naaman, we, we know that, hey, if we step out, if we act in obedience, we, we live in faith, then it's, it's often what we receive from this good Father God is better than what we expected. It's even better. Right? And because of that, our faith is increased. Right? How many of you can say that, that when God comes through for you in that way, that, man, your faith is increased. You're like, wow, I really can trust you more, God. Right? And maybe the next time it's a little bit easier. That when you begin to understand the character of God, it's easy to follow after him. And really, like we saw that, that as Naaman testifies, there is no God but this God. He's the real deal. right? He's the one that we need to put our hope in. Because as we look forward to Christ coming again, as we find ourselves in a situation that may be similar to what these people were in, that they're saying, hey, I know who God is, but my reality doesn't seem like it's fully connected yet. But it's coming. It's coming when the kingdom of God, the reign of our Lord, will be complete right, completely established, that we will live in that fullness, that there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more evil, no more sin, that that will all be wiped away and we'll be just in his presence. That's the hope that we carry, that this life is just the beginning, a tiny speck in our eternity. So here's our weekly challenge. Um, 
I encourage you to read through 2 Kings uh, 5. There's more than what we read today. Um, so there's lots that we can pull away from that and, and learn. Uh, think about what you put your hope in. We all put our hope in something. You know, maybe it's our, our bank accounts, maybe it's our job, maybe it's uh, a loved one, uh, whatever it is. Um, you know, what do we put our hope in, really? Um, I think we'd all like to say, hey, I put my hope in, in Jesus Christ, but what are we actively putting our hope in, right? And then overflow, um, please, please, please pray that God would give you a hope that leads to an increase in your faith, you know, just like it did for Naaman. Remember, we can only overflow or bless others when we're filled up by God, right? If we want to be able to pass on something, we need to receive that first. So, uh, so whatever that is for you, pray through that, that, that God would, would increase your hope, that, that you would identify, what is it that I put my hope on? And let's grow in that together. So uh, this Sunday, um, you know, first Sunday of every month, we have uh, just a joy and blessing to be able to take communion together. And uh, so to lead us in this time, I invite Pastor Toby. Morning, church. I'm Toby. Um, And uh, it's really good to hear the message of hope. And uh, as we transition into the time of uh, communion, I, it's, I think it's a, such a special thing to be able to do communion during the season of Advent. As the candles light up, as we anticipate this coming of Jesus, uh, it is so important for us to, to put, remind ourselves once again, where is our hope? And our hope is in Jesus Christ. Let me read you scripture from 1 Peter 1 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of what took place on that cross, we have hope. Amen, church. Amen. And, and that's why we get to remember. That's the hope that came to us on Christmas. That's the hope that came down from heaven to earth. To take on your sin, thus becoming your hope, living hope, hope eternal. Not just the hope that that ends when we die, but hope that will continue everlasting. And um, because of his death and resurrection, it gave us, it says, new birth with a living hope. And communion is a time where we make sure that the living hope is in us, in you. That's why we get to eat. The bread or the cracker <laughs> that represents the life of Jesus. We, we take that in. We like eat him. Make sure that the living hope is inside. This is a chance for us to remember that. And then we're going uh, to drink the blood of Jesus. I mean, for non-believers, for non-Christians, it's like, what? But it is our chance to check our pulse. Is the blood of Jesus running through my veins? Is he still in there? Is he actively giving me living hope? This is a checkpoint for us. It's a pit stop or it's a, what do you call it? Just make sure that we are fueled and be energized. And the living hope of Jesus Christ is clearly in us. So I invite you in this time of communion as we check and make sure that the living hope has not escaped, but it is with us each and every day. So together as a church community, we come to the table of Jesus Christ. 
And once again, we remember his death and the resurrection through this communion. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to take on what was ours, the sin. That it gave us leprosy of our hearts. It was it was a sin. It was it was a it was a stain that cannot be taken away or cannot be washed off with our own strength, with our own hope. But only through the blood of Jesus Christ that stain was cleansed, pure. It's like a baby skin. Wow. We remember name and story. We find Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we seek for today as we walk towards you, as we come before you for communion, to receive what was yours, perfect life, cleansed, without sin. And as we partake in in eating and drinking of communion, of the elements, May we be reminded of the living hope that needs to be within us. Not outside, somewhere else, but right here within our souls. So may this time be a time of that reflection, thanksgiving to you. So the Lord Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took the bread. He broke it and gave thanks and said, This is my body that has been given, broken. It says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end, he took the cup. It said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I want us to take a moment right now to reflect upon the birth of Jesus that eventually ended on the cross. The hope came to you. May we take this moment to reflect, give thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ.